Welcome to Industry Focus, a podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Friday, November 1st, and we're talking about a big deal in consumer tech. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I've got Fool.com's Evan New with me on Skype. Evan, what's going on, man? We had a winter storm here this week, so it is very cold. <laughs> it was like a balmy Halloween over in DC. Uh, I almost pulled out the shorts when I was giving out candy. It was just, it was, it was warm, and then we got hit with a storm and it got cold. But yeah, I'm not really sure when the fall is going to come here, man. <laughs> yeah, kind of threw off my week because the you know the kids' schools were kind of like flip flopping on are they going to be delayed? Are they going to be open? Are they going to be closed? It was just kind of a mess this week. You know uh, what did not throw off my week, Evan? What's that? The news that Google <laughs> is buying Fitbit. I love it when news comes in as we're planning a show and we can incorporate it uh, without having to wait a week to hit it next week. Uh, so just this morning, we got word that Google Parent Alphabet will be buying Fitbit. There had been speculation earlier in the week. We were probably going to be doing this show anyways, but now we have some firm details to work with. Yeah, there were some reports this week that Google had made an offer, but there were <clears throat> they had they didn't say how much, which is obviously kind of a big deal. And now we got the confirmation today that yeah, they they made a firm offer and they got accepted at seven dollars and thirty five cents a share. Uh, it's about $2.1 billion on a fully diluted basis. Interesting side note, though, is, is that we're now seeing reports that Facebook was actually interested, too, uh, to buy Fitbit. Uh, Fitbit's been on sale for about a month. They've been shopping around. Uh, Facebook reportedly made an offer that was about half of Google's. And, you know, Facebook's been pushing big into hardware lately, uh, not so successfully. <laughs> uh, but they are, they're actually also testing this tool that makes health suggestions. So, you know, they are showing some indications that they're kind of interested in getting a little bit into healthcare. But at the same time, can you imagine them? getting their hands on all that health data with all of their privacy scandals? Like, what a nightmare. That would not be good. I'm, I'm a little uh, surprised with the low price that Facebook came in at. You know, Fitbit is a stock that has traded at a relatively low valuation because it's had declining sales over the last couple of years. But right now, I mean, they've done like $1.5 in trailing 12-month sales. If they came in at half of what Google offered, that's just over a billion dollars. So that that valuation is a fraction of trailing twelve month revenue. Kind of wild to me. Right. I think it shows that you know clearly they they can't be too interested. You know, it doesn't make as much sense for them as it does for like a Google or or even an Amazon. But but yeah, Google's uh, going to be the new owner of Fitbit. And this is a, a slightly different strategy than what we've seen from Google in the wearable space so far. You know, the the strategy that they've had is we are going to make our operating system Wear OS available uh, to all of these people who tend to specialize in devices. Let them use it, very similar to what they did with Android uh, and the smartphones that we know so well now. Uh, the strategy has not worked as well as it did for the smartphone market. Right, Wear OS has been around for like five years now, and it just has never really gained traction in the market uh, in terms of like as far as the smartwatch market goes, which is you know was pretty new when. Uh, they announced Wear OS initially, but what we've seen happening is that a lot of these big third-party smartwatch manufacturers, you know, your Samsungs, your LGs, they've been shifting away from Wear OS because you know they they were on board the first few years, but the devices just didn't really sell very well, so they kind of shifted over towards making their own proprietary. Um, platforms. So, for example, Samsung has Tizen, which powers the most of its popular smartwatches. Uh, there's still some people that are in there making Wear OS devices, but uh, it, that, that platform has really just flopped. It, it does not has not made a dent, whereas Fitbit is now the number two player in smartwatches behind Apple. 
Yeah, I think the uh, the smartwatch maker that most closely uses anything from Google is Fossil, and their market share is somewhere around four or five percent, based on some of the recent shipments. So clearly, uh, Google is not commanding this market. But in buying Fitbit, they are scooping up the number two player. And at this point, Fitbit has twenty eight million active users worldwide. You think about the purchase price. Google just basically bought all of those for about seventy five dollars a person. Right, and there's a lot of data in there, of course, um, you know, because Fitbit collects all this health data. They've been building this digital health platform that, you know, they, you know much like Apple, both Fitbit and Apple want to help users be able to manage their health data on on this platform. But they're they're very you know sensitive to the concerns that you know people are going to worry about privacy issues because this is Google we're talking about. Not as bad as Facebook's reputation, but still has some valid concerns there. And the company has kind of gotten out ahead of this and said, hey, no, we're not going to be using your data. Uh, for ad targeting or anything like that. Yeah, the official statement from Rick Osterloh, their senior VP of devices and services. Similar to our other products with wearables, we will be transparent about the data we collect and why we will never sell personal information to anyone. Fitbit health and wellness data will not be used for Google ads, and we will give Fitbit users the choice to review, move, or delete their data. So, you know, they, they clearly anticipated that people were going to have some questions about this. <laughs> Right, and I mean this type of data is just fundamentally very sensitive since it's your health, and you know I can't think of any type of data that's more kind of sensitive than that. You don't want that getting out there. Exactly. So, so when I look at all of this, it seems like the logical next step is for Google to start owning uh, really their own devices and, and not just playing in the software side of this market. We get a little bit of that when we look at the statement that Google issued, and they said we see an opportunity to invest even more in Wear OS as well as introduced made-by-Google wearable devices to the market. So it seems like that's where Fitbit's going to plug into their overall strategy. Right, because obviously Fitbit has is kind of an integrated player. They make the hardware and the software, uh, whereas Wear OS has been kind of just the software side of it. And a lot of people have been expecting Google to come out with a Pixel Watch. Um, actually, people thought that was going to happen this year, um, but then that product was reportedly actually killed off a few years back. But now it seems kind of more likely in the cards at some point going forward, because they also kind of mentioned that the plan is to basically combine these two platforms, you know, Wear OS and Fitbit OS, and then they're going to license that out to other third-party manufacturers, just like they do with Android. But at the same time, they're going to you know make their own devices probably at some point. Uh, as they kind of work to integrate this merger. But I think a lot of the uncertainty here is going to be how well Google can execute on merging these operating systems in kind of a cohesive way. So that's going to be the kind of big thing to keep an eye on going forward. Now, this is not the first time that Google has bought uh, either technology, IP, what have you in the wearables market. Uh, you go back to early 2019, Google paid $40 million for smartwatch, te- smartwatch technology from Fossil. Uh, and we don't know exactly what is under the hood there yet, but the rumors that I've read is that it's related to kind of this hybrid technology a lot of people are talking about, where it is a smartwatch, but also something that resembles much more of the classic luxury analog watch that a lot of people tend to wear for fashion. My understanding is that this deal is very intellectually property, intellectual property oriented, though it was kind of an aqua hire situation for Google because they were able to bring on, I think, 20 people from the R&D team that put that tech together. Right, and that deal was announced earlier this year, which also fueled more of the speculation, including on my part, uh, that they're making this Pixel Watch, but they haven't done that yet, so I'll have to wait a little bit longer for a first-party Google smartwatch. So that's the rundown if you're looking at things from Google's perspective. Now, if you're Fitbit, I think that this is kind of a rough end to 
a pretty difficult time on the public markets. You know, Fitbit debuted several years ago, and it was a very quickly growing, profitable company uh, that was the de facto name in its space. And things have not gone particularly well for them as a publicly traded business. Right. I mean, the the narrative has really shifted ever since Apple really jumped in with the Apple Watch because Fitbit historically did done really well with these fitness trackers. But then the whole market started to really shift uh, on these wearables from basic trackers to kind of more full-featured smartwatches. And basic trackers are still a big business in certain parts of the world, like emerging markets, uh, China, for example. But you know, in developed markets, it's really shifting aggressively towards smartwatches. So Fitbit went out and they bought three companies, uh, Coin, Vector, and Pebble, and basically you know, combine all of those companies that were kind of on the ropes themselves and to create their own smartwatch platform. And to their credit, I think they've done a pretty good job because obviously they're number two. But at the same time, it's been really hit or miss. They've had some products really just do really well and then the, the, the turnaround, the next one is a complete flop. So, I mean, that's kind of the nature of consumer hardware. So, I mean, they've, they've seen sales come down both, I think, in 2017 and 2018. So, it's, it's, it's a tough market out there when you're a pure play consumer hardware company. The thing that we would come back to too, Evan, is, you know, you look at their balance sheet. I think Fitbit has something in the neighborhood of about five hundred million dollars in cash and short-term equivalents. Uh, they are competing pretty directly with Apple, and Apple has about two hundred times that on their balance sheet. And so they are competing in the premium end of this market with a very deep-pocketed competitor. They're going to get some of that uh, help now that they're owned. By Google, and hopefully um, they'll be able to make things work uh, as the kind of newly acquired business. Right, it kind of frees them a little bit to focus on just you know the product and the actual you know software and all that stuff, as opposed to kind of worrying so much about profitability, the finances. Because now that you have this rich parent company, <laughs> you don't have to worry about it. It does remind me a little bit of Whole Foods being acquired by Amazon. You know, the uh, Whole Foods was kind of struggling for a bit. They were posting up some comps numbers that people weren't particularly fond of, and there was this great strategic acquisition that Amazon <laughs> decided to make. And all of a sudden, that whole narrative has disappeared. Right? You know, it's an asset. It's an asset to Amazon because they have all these physical locations and they can tie Whole Foods into all of these larger ambitions that they have. You might see the same thing play out here. Right, it's nice to have someone paying all your bills for you. Yeah, if you can find a benefactor, you know, by <laughs> all means, do it. Um, all right, we uh, we couldn't have you on, Evan, uh, this time of year without also talking about Apple earnings. Kind of one of our favorite companies to talk about. Certainly, the one that I think you cover best. Uh, when you look at the results from Apple this quarter, what do you see? It was a pretty a pretty solid quarter, um, particularly as they're closing out their fiscal year. So this is the Fiscal fourth quarter of 2019, uh, revenue is up two percent to about 64 billion. Uh, iPhone revenue continues to kind of fall as we've been seeing the past few quarters. So iPhone revenue is down nine uh, percent to about 33 billion. iPhone 11 is selling pretty well. The, they're saying it's still the best selling model, and that's the iPhone 11, the more affordable one, the $700 one that comes in different colors as opposed to the higher end. Pro and Pro Max, which are a thousand and up, but if you look at revenue outside of the iPhone, so everything excluding the iPhone, uh, it's plus seventeen percent. So I think we're still seeing some strength in every segment outside of that core business, um, as you know they're continuing to really push the services segment as usual, and we'll, you know we can dig into that more uh, here in a minute. 
But services revenue is up 18% to $12.5 billion. Wearables continues to do really well. They're saying it grew, grew over 50%, hit new records in every market. Um, so, yeah, I mean, really executing on, on a lot of fronts here. Yeah, that's that's the thing that we always kind of have to remind ourselves with Apple is while there are these other segments that are doing so well, you know, uh, the wearable segment posting over 50% growth, services up pretty big and a high margin uh, revenue contributor, uh, you know, unfortunately, the, the overall result is going to be very closely tied to what happens with the iPhone. Right, and there's you know they're starting to finally grow these other businesses enough to kind of offset some of the weakness in the iPhone. So here's another kind of interesting thing that's happening too is that the wearables segment, which includes home and accessories, uh, is almost the same size as the Mac now, which is kind of incredible. So on a on a trailing 12 month basis, wearables, home, and accessories did 24.5 billion last year. Uh, The Mac did 25.7, so they're pretty comparable. And you know. They've been introducing more and more wearables beyond just the Apple Watch. Uh, so, for example, AirPods have obviously been popular for a few years now, but they're building on that momentum. They released second-gen AirPods earlier this year, and they did PowerBeats Pro a couple months later, and then now just the past few weeks, they've done AirPods Pro, Beats Solo Pro. So they're really been big on this uh, wireless headphones, head, you know, earphones, in-ear noise canceling, a bunch of you know, different types of feature sets uh, to really kind of keep growing that wearables business. And at the same time, the iPad is kind of starting to come back a little bit too with the iPad Pro. The They have a really broad lineup now of iPads that really kind of hits every price point or use case you can think of. Uh, so I think that's also starting to do really well. So at the end, bottom line, you know, net income was $13.7 billion or $3.03 per share. Gotcha. Um, so... We touched on some of the big stuff, but I'm also a fan of how Apple likes to break out their uh, their earnings releases or their numbers in in slightly less conventional ways. I think whoever is doing the com- the comparisons for Apple deserves a promotion. The, the data scientist that is digging in and being like, "We did this amount in revenue. It's a novel data point because of this." Um, they always manage to pull those out in uh, both their earnings releases and the press releases that follow. And we finally got one of those numbers when it comes to their U.S. revenue. Right. So they crossed $100 billion in U.S. revenue for the first time ever during the fiscal year. I think it actually technically occurred in like the second or second quarter of the fiscal year. Um, but yeah, so you know, that's a pretty big milestone. And it shows that even in their kind of core home market, they're still able to really grow and expand their presence. Um, any, any other non-financial numbers that you think uh, really paint a picture? Yeah, a couple other kind of side notes that they mentioned on the call. You know, so they're about to start offering zero percent financing on the iPhone through Apple Card, which is that new credit card they're they're partnering with Goldman Sachs for. So that that might help you know, kind of boost sales a little bit because it's integrated. It's very convenient. They've noted that trade and volumes are up about five times. So that's kind of helping them uh, sell more uh, phones into the secondary market at lower prices uh, through their partners, of course. And then that also helps grow the install base, which they can then monetize with services. <laughs> uh, the iPhone install base has hit a new high. They didn't really specify what it is, but they said earlier this year that it's over $900 million, So that's a pretty strong number there. The watch is still very much in the adoption phase versus kind of a mature upgrade phase because 75% of buyers are, st- are all new to the watch. So most people that are buying Apple Watches have never had one before. Uh, so they're still kind of very much climbing that adoption curve. Much to the chagrin of Fitbit, I'm sure, Evan. Uh, (laughs) You mentioned the benefits of that larger install base and the ability to market uh, their services segment to an increasingly larger number of people. Uh, What's going on specifically in services? 
Right. So, I mean, they've been really hitting this services point home for the past couple of years. So, uh, it's definitely worth digging in a little bit more because that's what Apple wants us to do. Um, so, so, services revenue last fiscal year was $46 billion, which is right on the cusp of hitting that $50 billion target that they had set out that they're going to hit next year. They added another 30 million paid subscriptions for the eighth consecutive quarter. So, now they have $450 million. Uh, that also puts them on track to hit another target they set out, which is to hit 500 million paid subscriptions in 2020. Uh, third-party subscription business grew 40%. And the biggest third-party subscription, they said, is like less than a quarter of a percent of services revenue. So this business is still very diversified. Uh, you, you and I had talked before about how you know so, some companies like Netflix, for example, used to be a pretty big component of this uh, business. Of course, Netflix no longer does iTunes billing, but you know everyone else is still pretty you know pretty healthy there in terms of that business because it's growing and it's diversified. There's not a lot of risk concentrated on like one customer, for example. Uh, they also had a pretty strong quarter for AppleCare. They've been uh, expanding that to cover like every product you could imagine, and they've shifted towards this kind of indefinite subscription model where you can basically just pay a monthly fee for as long as you want versus it used to be like a fixed term like oh you pay for two years of coverage but now it's like you can just pay it forever <laughs> <laughs> yeah well if you're a business just having someone pay you forever sounds pretty great <laughs> <laughs> yeah which also you know it's all a function of uh, you know iphone prices have been going up a lot and repair costs have been going up a lot so that kind of nudges people to get more coverage because the out of warranty repair costs are so high so i think that's also helping contribute to the apple care business when we take a step back with this company, I think we need to kind of remind ourselves of some of the changes that they made to how they report their numbers. You know, the the biggest one that a lot of people followed was we're moving away from reporting units when it comes to our iPhone segment. We're only giving you that figure in revenue. You touched on that before, but there's another one uh, that I think we need to keep in mind as well. Right. So starting this fiscal year uh, for fiscal 2019, they started to, as you mentioned, they they stopped giving out unit data, but then they started to provide gross margin data for products versus services to really prove to investors how profitable this segment is. And we always knew that, but we'd never had the kind of granular detail. And I think them providing that has really helped um, them drive that point home. So now we have two years of data since they provide the year-over-year comparisons. So here, I think there are some important trends in the services business that investors need to kind of keep an eye on. Uh, So for example, just in terms of sheer gross margin, it's jumped from 58% from the beginning of fiscal 2018 to 64% at the end of fiscal 2019. So that that profitability is climbing higher and higher over time. At the same time, the services business is becoming a bigger part of the total revenue. So it's it's really having a huge impact on total gross profit. So just as an example, services in the fourth quarter was 20% of revenue, but a third of gross profit. Yeah, I don't know if the execs at Apple were reading the tea leaves and understanding that, you know, three years ago, iPhone sales were going to start to slow down and that they needed to create a narrative that people were going to get excited about with this company. Uh, But they very successfully did that. Right. I mean, like, it's just becoming a huge, you know, driver of their profitability. Uh, And, you know, it's really not. Uh, subject to the same type of seasonality as the hardware businesses, uh, which also we'll, we'll touch on when we get into their guidance. But it's worth noting that Apple's always said that they prioritize maximizing gross margin dollars over gross margin percentage, because you know you can use those dollars to actually go and pay for your R and D expenses. You can't really you know use a percentage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Evan. You, so you mentioned seasonality, and uh, I mean we're heading into the all important holiday quarter. You know, for advertising businesses, it's a very big quarter for consumer electronics very big quarter. 
Apple very big quarter. You know, you, you said $64 billion for this most recently finished quarter. Uh, expectations are a little bit higher for calendar Q4. Right. So in the December quarter, they're guiding revenue to 85.5 to 89.5 billion. So the midpoint of that guidance is above the street. So it came in better than expected. And that's really expected to be driven by wearable services and iPad, as we saw last quarter. Uh, the gross margin guidance was interesting because it was flat on a sequential basis, uh, 37.5 to 38.5%. And normally we see Apple have gross margin expansion in the December quarter due to operating leverage. But now we're seeing that services are contributing so much to profitability that when you have a higher mix of hardware products, which you know, over the holidays they sell so many hardware products, that actually dilutes gross margin on a, gr- on a percentage basis. So it, it's I've always said that this kind of a way to mitigate this, the seasonality that's kind of inherent in consumer hardware. And I think that you can kind of see that playing out here because the services is helping to smooth out gross margin uh, you know, it's not as lumpy as it used to be. Yeah, we are generally huge fans of subscription businesses or anything that just is something that once consumers do, they don't have to think about it again. You know, you're, they're they're going to be a customer, and a lot of these businesses over on the services side are set up that way. Uh, it seems like Wall Street was pretty happy with the results, and uh, investors generally pretty happy with the results. I mean, we're back right around at all-time highs, uh, and you know, we've got. A decimal point in the tenths next to that trillion number, 1.13 trillion, I think, now, which uh, I haven't been checking in on the market cap too much recently, but that's got to be right near all time highs, Evan. Yeah, the stock is you know, trading pretty close to all time highs, and I don't remember how much it went up on the earnings, but you know, with a company this big, you can't expect them to, to move too much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so so I think we've we've talked about this company before, and you know we're both we're both shareholders, and um, I think we are past the days of Apple providing some really meaningful share price appreciation uh, to its investors the way it had maybe over the last decade or so, where it was just a phenomenal performer. But you also have a business that offers a pretty good dividend yield. Uh, will be buying back shares. You know, continue to opportunistically buy back shares, um, and has a stellar product that people seem to love. Well, to that point, it's actually funny because if you time it out, of course, we don't recommend trying to time the market. But interestingly, you know, at the beginning of 2019, stock was down to like 140. So it's it's up more than 50 percent for the year. So that's pretty wild number right there, as far as like your return over the past year for yeah, a company this big. It's it's kind of amazing to think that within a year you could have. Uh, about eighty percent returns on a stock that, or on a company that is now worth over a trillion dollars. Um, but you know that's why we just stay the course with these big ones that we know are going to do well. Yeah, it's because I mean everything pulled back in you know late twenty eighteen, pretty pretty bad with a lot of macro stuff. So I think it'll, again, it's all timing and how you frame it, but the, the opportunities are out there. Yeah. All right, Evan. Thanks for hopping on today's show. Anything else before I let you go? No, that's it. Thanks for having me. All right, man. Listeners, that's going to do it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or you want to reach out and say, hey, shoot us an email over at industryfocus at fool.com or tweet us at mfindustryfocus. If you want more stuff, subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can check videos out from the podcast over on YouTube in addition to a ton of other video content that we got over there. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for all his work behind the glass today. For Evan New, I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening, and Fool on! Fool on!